Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. This winter, we're taking a fresh look at a familiar story through our series, Jonah, At Odds with God. Tune in now as we face the same choice Jonah did, to receive God's mission or to resent it. All right, good morning, church. Good to be with you all in worship. My name is C.T. Eldridge, the campus pastor here, and I look forward to continuing to worship the Lord as we open the scriptures together. Um, We are beginning a new series. We're going to walk all the way through the book of Jonah, chapter 1, verse 1, through chapter 4, verse 11, from front to back. Um, If you're looking in your Bible for Jonah, it is one of what is called the Minor Prophets. Um, And they're referred to as the minor prophets, not because they are of minor importance, but because they are of minor size. Um, There's the major prophets, which are Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. They're referred to as the major prophets. And then right after that are listed the minor prophets, kind of towards the middle of the Bible as the books are listed. The minor prophets start with Hosea, then there's Joel, Amos, Obadiah, and then Jonah. And if you see Micah, you've gone too far. Come back to the left. We're in Jonah, and we're going to be in chapter 1, just verses 1 through 3 this morning is where we're going to be. So along with letting you know where Jonah is within the order of the books of the Bible, I also want you to see where Jonah is situated historically in the timeline of Israel's history. So I've put together this handy-dandy Microsoft Paint Bible timeline uh, because there were none online to my liking. I made my own. Um, So this is kind of the biblical timeline leading up to the ministry and story of the prophet Jonah. Uh, So really foundational to the history of God's people is Genesis chapter 12, when the Lord calls a man then named Abram, and he speaks these foundational promises to Abraham, referred to as the Abrahamic covenant, that God is going to work salvation. God is going to undo the curse of sin and bless the world through Abraham and his descendants. That's Genesis chapter 12. And then Abraham's descendants over the course of the book of Genesis wind up in Egypt, enslaved. And so God raises up a man named Moses to lead the people out of Genesis back to the promised land. Um, That's the book of Exodus. Um, And then back in the promised land, eventually, um, the monarchy is started under King David. King Saul was the first king. That didn't go so well. King David uh, is really the foundational king to the monarchy in Israel. And then, just a couple generations later, um, and I'm sorry, this is wrong. (laughs) The kingdom is divided under Rehoboam. Pardon me. Um, So David had a son named Solomon, King Solomon. Solomon had a son named Rehoboam. And under King Rehoboam, Uh, The nation was divided into two. That's why I've split our timeline there. There's the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom is referred to Israel. The southern kingdom is referred to Judah um, because that's where the tribe of Judah was situated within the uh, layout of the promised land originally. They were referred to as Judah. That's where Jerusalem was, where the original temple was. Um, And within the southern kingdom, there were prophets raised up to speak God's word to the people within the southern kingdom. Isaiah uh, was first, Jeremiah, and then Ezekiel is roughly the timeline. Same thing for the northern kingdom. God raised up prophets to speak his word to the northern kingdom. Hosea, Amos, and then Jonah. 
So that's where we are roughly, and we're talking 600 BC to 800 BC, roughly, uh, around the time all these prophets are being raised up. So that's where we are historically. That's where we are within the Bible. I'll read these verses for us, and then we'll dive in. Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Brothers and sisters, hear the words of our God. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Jonah went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish, So he paid the fare and went down into the ship to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Who are the United States' greatest political rivals? Which countries in our world are our biggest enemies? This was a question recently asked by an organization called Chicago Council Surveys in which they polled a large number of Americans who ranked our rivals, our enemies. And here's the results. Coming in at number one by a solid margin was North Korea. The runner-up wasn't too far behind, and that is the country of Iran. Third was the nation Russia, followed closely by China, and fourth. These are our adversaries, our rivals. We differ with these different nations regarding economic systems, political systems, religious affiliation, cultural expressions. Our differences are so broad and so deep that a large percentage of us, the majority of us, Call these nations our rivals, our enemies, even. Now imagine that you are a red, white, and blue, bleeding, proud patriot. Imagine you love America, you're proud of America. And then imagine that God calls you to Moscow. Or imagine that you receive a divine summons to go to Pyongyang or Beijing or Tehran, one of these capital cities of our rivals. God calls you to go there and live your American life, to be a blessing and to work for the prosperity of your enemy. Well, I share that little thought experiment with you Because that is exactly what God called the prophet Jonah to do. Jonah was a passionately patriotic leader belonging to the northern kingdom of Israel. And in 2 Kings chapter 14, when some prophets like Amos and Hosea criticized King Jeroboam's aggressive border expansion efforts, Jonah had supported them. Jonah supported the king's nationalistic program to expand Israel's borders regardless of the cost. So Jonah was, as one scholar put it, quote, intensely patriotic and a highly partisan nationalist, 
That's Jonah. And then you have the city of Nineveh. Nineveh was one of the largest and most prominent cities within the empire of Assyria. And the Assyrian empire was not only rivals with Israel, but they were brutally violent rivals against Israel. So here's how one scholar describes the Assyrians at the time. Quote, Assyria was one of the cruelest and most violent empires of ancient times. Assyrian kings often recorded the results of their military victories, boasting of entire fields littered with corpses and of cities burned completely to the ground. The Assyrian emperor, Shalmaneser III, is well known for depicting torture, dismembering, and decapitations of enemies in grisly detail on large stone relief panels. Assyrian history is a gory and blood-curdling of a history as we know of. After capturing enemies, the Assyrians would typically cut off their legs and one arm, leaving the other arm and hand so they could shake the victim's hand in mockery as he was dying. They forced friends and family members to parade with the decapitated heads of their loved ones on elevated poles. They pulled out prisoners' tongues and stretched their bodies with ropes so they could be flayed alive and their skins displayed on city walls. Those who survived the destruction of their cities were fated to endure cruel and violent forms of slavery. The Assyrians have been called a terrorist state, and they had begun exacting heavy tribute from Israel during the reign of King Jehu and continued to threaten the Jewish northern kingdom throughout the lifetime of Jonah. That's Assyria. That's Nineveh. Israel's rival, Jonah's rival. And in the opening verse of the story, the divine summon reaches Jonah, says this. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it for their evil has come up before me. God's word comes to Jonah, and God says that the stench of Assyria's evil has reached the highest heaven. He says their evil has heaped up before my heavenly throne. And how does God respond to this pile of evil that's come up before him? Does he want to zap the Assyrians and take them out, annihilate Israel's enemies? No, he wants to reach out to them. He wants to warn them, hey, the way you're operating as a nation is evil. The way you're living is contrary to my design for your life. God wants to mercifully reach out to Nineveh, and the man for the mission is the proud Israeli, the proud patriotic nationalist Jonah. God says to Jonah, receive my call to reach out in mercy. God says to Jonah, you may want to put the Ninevites 
in the crosshairs of your sniper rifle or the cannon of your tank, but I am aiming to shower them with grace and mercy, not bombs. So receive my call to reach out to the Ninevites with mercy. And brother, sister, Christian, we too have received such a call. Jesus, our Lord, calls us to love our enemies. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. Jesus calls us to bless those who persecute us. Romans chapter 12, verse 14. And he has called us to repay evil with blessing. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. In other words, Jesus calls us to reach out to everyone, enemies included, with mercy. We may have political rivals. We may have ethnic rivals. You might have a business rival. You might have a religious rival. You might have a relationship that is just full of hostility. They make your blood boil. A person or a group of people that make you think, you know, I wouldn't mind if God poured out a little wrath on their life. Who is that for you? Who is your Nineveh? God calls Jonah to reach out in mercy, but how is he going to respond? What's he going to do in light of such a challenge? Let's see in verse 3. God calls Jonah to arise and go to Nineveh, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. From the presence of the Lord, he went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare, went down into the ship to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So Jonah responds to the call of God with defiance. The prophet of God resists the God for whom he prophesies. And there have been other prophets who wrestled with God over their calling. You remember Moses complained to God that he had a stammering tongue. Jeremiah lamented that he was too young to receive such a calling. Isaiah complained that he was a man of unclean lips. But Jonah doesn't complain or lament or object. Jonah does not say anything here. He doesn't wrestle with God over the calling on his life. He just gets up and leaves. Just pure defiance. He arose to flee to Tarshish. Now, I want you guys to see this geographically so that you get a sense for just how defiant Jonah's fleeing was. If you look at this map, you can see on the bottom left corner, I've got the city of Gath Heifer highlighted in yellow. That's the city where Jonah is from. It's in the hill country of northern Israel. And from there, God calls Jonah to head north following those mostly orange lines, and then go way east to Nineveh. And you can see I have Nineveh highlighted in red in the top right corner there. That's the route God calls Jonah to take. However, instead of going north, Jonah goes south to Joppa, a coastal city that you can see marked there on the bottom left again. And instead of going east, Jonah goes directly west to Tarshish, which you can see marked by that green arrow going westward. 
In other words, Jonah goes as far as possible in the exact opposite direction the Lord wants him to, defying God's will. God says, this is my calling for you to reach out in mercy to Nineveh. Jonah says, this is me fleeing, heading east to Tarshish. And if we look closer at verse 3, we can learn at least two things about the consequences of defying God's will. Two consequences for defying God's will on our lives. First, defiance leads us away from the presence of God. Defiance leads us away from the presence of God. Look once more at verse 3. Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And then again, at the end of the verse, he got into the boat to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. So the author of the story here is letting us know that Jonah isn't just defying God's call on his life. He isn't just running from God's word. He is running from God. He's walking away from the presence of God. He's walking away from relationship with God because he doesn't want to do what God wants him to do. And very interestingly, the same wording here is used in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. After the first man and woman sin against God, it says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, that the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So Adam and Eve try hiding. Jonah tries running, but the result is the same. Defying God's will, defying God's call leads us away from God's presence. Old Testament scholar Kevin Youngblood put it this way. He says, quote, the real tragedy of such a fate, meaning a fate such as Jonah's who defied God's will, the real tragedy of such a fate is the loss of intimacy with God. Disobedience can and will erode one's relationship with the covenant Lord, which results in a loss of intimacy and eventually the loss of the relationship altogether. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells a parable often referred to as the parable of the prodigal son. It's this story about two sons and the younger son, in open defiance to his dad, he asks for his inheritance early. And this was a way of indirectly saying to his dad, hey, dad, I wish you were dead. So can you just give me my inheritance early? Dad, you're dead to me, so just give me my inheritance now so that I don't have to wait for you to physically die. That's essentially what the younger son says. And the dad does it. He gives him the inheritance, and the son moves off to the big city where he proceeds to, as Jesus put it, quote, squander his inheritance in reckless living. And eventually, the son becomes very poor and desperate, resorting even to eating out of a pigsty. And it was only then that Jesus says the younger son came to his senses. And essentially, what the son then says to himself is, I need to become my father's son again. 
I need to be in my Father's presence again. All of this defiance hasn't just lost me my wealth, it's lost me the relationship that matters most. And so he gets up from the pig slop and he goes home into the embrace of his loving father. But you see, the younger son here learned defiance leads us away from God's presence. And so, friend, have you learned that? Defying God, whether it relates to loving your enemies or caring for the poor or living in faithfulness to your spouse or conducting your business with integrity or caring for anyone, defying God's call on your life in any sort of way leads us away from God's presence. It leads us away from the heavenly Father's presence. But the parable about that young son and Jonah's story too eventually teaches us that when we come to our senses, when we yield from our defiance, the heavenly Father is ready and willing to receive us and embrace us back into his presence. So church, let's yield from our defiance and flee back to the Lord in his loving presence. So two things about defiance. Defiance leads us away from God's presence. Secondly, defiance leads us to death. Defiance leads us to death. So if you look back at verse 3, there's an interesting play on words, particularly as it relates to the direction Jonah is traveling. Listen again. Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Jonah went down to Joppa. So notice here that it doesn't simply say Jonah went to Joppa to find a boat. It says that Jonah went down to Joppa. And this is a reference to the fact that, as I said earlier, Jonah lived in the hill country of northern Israel. So he had to travel down from the hills to get to the coastal city of Joppa. He goes down to Joppa, continuing in verse 3. He goes down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into the ship to go with him to Tarshish. So again, the author, doesn't simply Jonah, the author doesn't simply say Jonah went into the ship. Instead, he emphasizes that Jonah goes down into the ship. And this is, of course, a reference to the way that Jonah, as a passenger, would have primarily been in the hull of the ship, stowed away. But this downward movement, he went down to Joppa, he went down into the ship, it seems to be a play on words for the downward spiral of Jonah's life as he defies God's call. And later on in the story, after Jonah hits rock bottom in chapter 2, he's praying and he says this in his prayer of desperation. This is chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. He says, The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land, I went down to the land whose bars close over me forever. In other words, Jonah is saying, I died. My defiance led me down to the land whose bars closed over me forever. This is a reference to death, right? When you close the casket, no need to open it again. Those bars are closed forever. The person is dead. 
Well, as Jonah is buried in the deep, he says, I'm down in the realm of the dead. I'm down in the place where nobody gets out. And again, going back to chapter 1, verse 3, Kevin Youngblood, the same scholar I mentioned earlier, he says this about verse 3. He says, the repetition of this word down, Jonah went down to Joppa, went down into the boat, it indicates that Jonah's westward journey is, spiritually speaking, a downward journey. Jonah may think that he is headed for distant, exotic places like Tarshish when he flees from God, but in reality, he is headed only to the grave. Defiance leads us to death. So by defying God, Adam and Eve thought they could be like God and experience the delight of their eyes. And by defying God, the younger son in Jesus' parable, he thought he could be satisfied by all of the sensual pleasures money could buy him. And by defying God, Jonah thought he could relax in the faraway coast of Tarshish and escape God's call on his life. But each one of those parties was fooled. Adam and Eve ended up feeling shame. The younger son ended up eating pig slop. And Jonah, as we'll find out, ended up going down to the depths of the ocean. Defiance leads to death. And so, friends, be warned. If we walk away from God's will, we walk away from God and his loving presence. If we run away from God's call on our lives, then we are running towards death. Let's be warned and let's not be fooled. And church, let's receive God's call to reach out in mercy. Jonah, at this point in his story, is resistant to that call. He does not like the Ninevites. They are his enemies. He doesn't want them to be warned and be saved. He wants them destroyed. But gratefully, Many centuries later, from that same area of northern Israel, a place then renamed Galilee, from that same place there would come another prophet, Jesus. And like Jonah, Jesus too was called to reach out in mercy to those who opposed God. Like Jonah, Jesus too was called to go to a place where there were people who were hostile to God. However, unlike Jonah, Jesus did not defy God's call on his life. He humbly and obediently received God's call. He didn't flee to Tarshish. No, he walked straight to Calvary where God had called him to. Jesus is the greater Jonah. Jesus is mercy incarnate. So I don't care for how long or how sinfully you have defied God. Right now, come to your senses and return to the loving embrace of the Father and put your trust in Jesus. Don't resist. Receive. Don't defy. Accept God's call on your life. Pray it would be so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.
Our Father, we come before you this morning and we together confess. We confess, Father, that at times we think we know better than you. We think we know what is best for us. We think we know what true joy and true satisfaction is. We try to play God in our own lives. Be Lord over our own lives. And we defy your will. We confess, Father. So we come before you, God, just like Jonah, 3,000 or so years later, and seek you for mercy. We pray that the word of the Lord would come again afresh in this church and we would receive your call to be who you made us to be. Merciful, loving, faithful. May the word of the Lord resound like a trumpet blast in our hearts for us to trust Jesus and surrender to his lordship. I pray that for each and every one of us. I pray that this church would be marked by that kind of surrender to your will. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the prophet of God who spoke your word like none other. We thank you. And God, we pray in his name. We're gathered in his name and we want to live in his name. So encourage us as we continue to sing your praise and celebrate the gospel that Jesus has done what we could not do, perfectly fulfilling your will. Encourage us, Father, as we sing. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.